So we're picking it up right where we left off last week. So we're in Titus. If you're following along in your Bibles, it'll be Titus 2, verse 11. And that'll be the only one, just verse 11, that we're zooming in on today. Um, and of course, we've been studying this letter written to Titus from the Apostle Paul. So Titus is this disciple of Jesus, uh, a fellow worker with Paul, and he's been, he's been commissioned to go to this island nation of Crete, right? That's what we've been studying this whole time. And Crete, we know, is kind of the worst of the worst. It's notorious in the ancient world for being just vile, slum, villainy, right? It's the exiles, that Rome actually exiled people to the island of Crete to just get them out of their sight. Not a great part of town, right? And that's what historians have described as well. And yet that's where Paul wants to send the message of Jesus. What an incredible vision when you think about it. Right here is a place that's a melting pot of, of religion, right? You have uh, folks that follow ancient uh, Greek gods. It was considered kind of the birthplace of Zeus, so they kind of, you know, herald that claim. They even had Egyptian gods, if you can believe it or not, that they worshiped there. And a community of, of Jewish folks, as well as the early church, kind of at odds with that Jewish community. There is a lot going on in this island, and yet Paul wakes up, the morning, wakes up in the morning and he thinks, this is a place that needs Jesus. This is a place that can have Jesus. And you've got to be thinking along too, like maybe he's considering, hey, it's an island. There's numerous ports, ports that you can still visit today. These ports, this, this part of the Mediterranean, people come and go all the time. Imagine if Jesus won a stronghold here, on the island of Crete, where the gospel could go and who it could go to. And I realize that Paul and I do not daydream at the same level, right? And it, and it breaks my heart a little bit. And, and I pray for a heart that would daydream the things that God wants to do and wants to see. And at the same time, I praise God for leaders like Paul, examples like Paul, and I think it's fair to say as well, leaders like we have, like Brian, right, who didn't have a vision for Crete or an island nation, but he did set us along this vision for the 210 corridor, didn't he? Right, and we don't have ports and piers and things like that, but we do have off-ramps, similar. And it's even the, the same number of people, roughly. I mean, Crete today is about 600,000 people. It was fewer back in the time of Paul. But you think about just the communities that follow the 210 and just how many people are in play here. We praise God for our leaders that have the vision, have the mindset, who draw near to the heart of God to save the lost. So let's, let's pray over that mission again. And also for our leader, Brian. So he's, he's at, away at Hume. He's not just getting ready for his football party. I figured I should, should acknowledge that. He's away at Hume. Uh, he's been preaching to about 1,000 high schoolers, right? And they're youth leaders and pastors. I, I think that counts as a multitude. So he's preaching to the multitude. Um, he preached um, earlier in the week, I think it was Friday, on the glory of God. Yesterday, he brought kind of a heavy message to them about sin 
And today, tonight, he's going to be approaching them with the opportunity to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. So he is, he's going out, right? He is sent out from this community. We're going to pray for him as well. And um, let's do it. Let's do it together. Lord, first I just I want to share my gratitude for our giving community, and I pray that you would you would bless the offering. Um, and that it would go to the things that make your heart happy, right? Give these leaders wisdom uh, to spend according to your will um, in the faithfulness of this community. And we pray, Lord God, for what we're talking about today, that the power of grace and what it compels us to do in faith, but in particular, we pray, Lord, for the lost, that they would come to know and experience your grace, God, that they would come to experience what we know and we feel, what has, has encouraged us, what has driven our passion, this grace of God that has changed absolutely everything. And we pray, God, that you would remove the stumbling blocks that we feel the evil one that Satan has set in the path of those that could come to know, that could come to feel and experience a faithful life changed by you. Lord, we pray for them and we lift them up we lift them up in the vision of this 210 corridor, the 210 freeway, these, these freeway communities, Lord, that need you, that need to be changed. And here we are. Lord, help us to have a dream for the lost in our own communities. And thank you that Brian, with that dream, goes out to preach, and we pray, Lord, that you would just make those young hearts and minds willing to hear and willing to receive your promises, your promises to change their lives, to help them step into a, a, a feeling and understanding of their purpose that they've never had before. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would remove every obstacle and hindrance, that you would protect Brian and protect the message from Satan, who wants to rob it, wants to take it away from all those individuals. Lord, we pray that you would be powerfully there, that your spirit would fall on that community, and that you would make believers tonight. And we thank you for everything that you did to line that up so that it could be possible. And we thank you for your spirit here this morning. Please help us to understand and unpack your scriptures and to draw near to you in all of it. Please, Lord, I pray that you would have answers for us as we wrestle with some of the things here. Give us clarity. Oh, and give us excitement that we can bring this message out, that we can impact the lives of loved ones, of friends, even of strangers. With the thing you did, coming to the world, giving up your life for us, and changing absolutely everything. Lord, please bless this time in your word. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and start with the verse, Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace, this idea of grace, underpins almost every one of Paul's writings. Everything that he pens in the New Testament is strongly impacted by this idea of grace. And the question becomes, why did Paul care so much? Why is grace so important to Paul's message? You think about Paul. He was 
uh, came from a prominent Jewish family. He had the best of the best instruction in the Torah. And he grew in this religion. He grew in his prominence in that Jewish community as a leader, highly respected. And what did he do with that religion? He persecuted Christians. Ultimately, what did he do with that religion? For years and years of his upbringing, he chased Christians in Jerusalem door to door. He describes it in several one of his letters, almost like a confession, that he persecuted harshly and violently, yanking Christians, new believers, out of their homes, right? P putting them in chains, men and women, applauding at their executions in a merciless six-month campaign in Jerusalem. And you do stuff like that, people tend to notice. And Christians fled. Many stayed, some left. And so he went to the Sanhedrin, that governing body of the Jewish community, and he got the approval to actually go outside of Jerusalem into the other nations to pursue these Christians, to pursue them and to continue to persecute them. And it was on the road to Damascus, one of these, one of these areas, that he was stopped, dead in his tracks. He was literally blinded by the appearing of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He was stopped on the road and asked that question that we all know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was blinded and he, and he stayed blind until an individual who responded to a vision that he re had received from God, this individual, this Christian, came to Paul to pray over him and essentially, you know, invite the Holy Spirit into his life. And so Paul's deliverance from this blindness of seeing Jesus actually came from one of the Christians that he sought to destroy. That has got to be humbling, right? Paul came to destroy this individual. This individual comes to him to save him and to heal him from his blindness. And, and more humbling altogether, I think, is the fact that Jesus appeared to Paul. Not because he was the best of the best. Not because he was the Noah of his day, but because he was the absolute worst. Is it, is it any question why Paul cares about grace so much? Grace is his testimony through and through. God loved him. People loved him. And how did he respond? By bringing salvation to all. That was in faith to the grace that he experienced. We've got some terms to unpack here, right? Grace. Grace is this foundation of our salvation, right? Everything that we believe is underpinned by the grace of God and what he did for us. Faith is the response, right? Faith is living and hope is alive. And what, what Paul has, has done here is set up an example for us to follow. This is my response. It's changed everything. I'm going to bring the gospel to the world, even to a place like Crete. It changed what he dreamed about. It changed what his heart cared for. It changed the people that he loved. And in verse 11, you know what, let's just, if you don't mind, let's read it together. Is that okay? Let's read this together. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Amen. The grace of God has appeared. And that word that Paul uses for appeared, I'm going to butcher. <laughs> it's Greek. It's, a, it's epiphano. Epiphano. Epiphino. Discuss among yourselves. It's something like that. It's up there. That's what matters. This is such an important word for Paul to use because it literally means like a shining of light. That's how Jesus appeared. Jesus, that's how grace appeared. It appeared like Jesus appeared to him in a shining light. It, you can see there it's even related to stars, to appear to become visible and to become clearly known. And I think as, as believers, we can celebrate his grace. Right, we know personally and very intimately. Like if you have walked with the Lord, you can say, has, has God provided for you? And we can put our hands up for this. If you feel, if you have known that God has provided for you in your life, absolutely. I, I can tell you, I, I graduated with an English lit degree and no teaching credential. God provides, right? I feel it. I know it to be true. God heals. You've experienced healing. Go ahead and put your hands up, right? Because there might be people, I know there's people that are going through and struggling all these different things. Let's be encouraged, right, by the body of believers, the family of believers here. We know it to be true. We've been healed. God has restored relationships. God has restored relationships. God has brought peace into unsolvable situations, hectic situations, stress. God has redeemed us. This is for all of us, right? God has redeemed us and transformed our lives. And we feel it. We feel it every day. But you know what? When the scales fell off of Paul's eyes, that's what the Bible says when his blindness returned to him, the scales fell off. His response was for faith. His response was for faith. I got to tell you, I've been, I've been thinking through this, this passage, this sermon and I just, where my mind went, salvation is for all people. The grace is so good. The grace we know, right? The grace that we can raise our hands about. And yet, I feel like there are certain things, little stumbling blocks, that just keep so many people, people that we love and know, from accepting that grace, for stepping into it. Right? There is... I, and I think it makes us uncomfortable at times. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in, in their case, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light, the epiphano of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Gosh, we believe, right, that there is, there is an evil one that is compromising the message, that is making it hard Who's, who's just making those little gut punches to, to try to keep people away from stepping into the truth about themselves and how they've been made and what is promised to them. And I just want to spend some time talking about that, about some of those common objections as an encouragement to us in this church body, but also with a heart for the lost. Like, let's... let's Tackle some of these objections, these small objections. Get them out of the way, right, so that you can step into the life that you were promised. Because we know that God's love is consuming. 
It's overflowing. And in the example of Paul, we know that he used the culture of his day, right? We know that he used some of the, the beliefs of, of the, the Cretans about Zeus to translate that into Jesus and make it more familiar, right? We know about the, that idol to the unknown God that he came across and how he used that to turn it into a message of salvation, right? We can use our culture. We can use some of these things that are perceived as, as challenges or hindrances. Let's take those back and capture them, right? And use them to the glory of God and to help people see clearly in the light that we see. I love, I love Rob, that you, you slowed us down with the lyrics, right? That I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him. And that is my prayer for us this morning. Let's take a look at this. Take a look at some faith building. I think one of the, one of the clearest ones, and you can, you can agree or disagree or challenge me on this, but gosh, intelligent design. I feel like, especially in this community in Claremont, this is one of the things that just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hindrance, right? It's just, it's a trap that keeps people from understanding what's in front of them. Let me ask, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Quick little game. Anybody know how many bones there are in the human body? Miss Cheryl got it right, surprising no one, so fast. 206, absolutely right. Um, at one point I had 207 because I broke one. I think that's, <laughs> that's how that works, right? <laughs> A quarter of those bones are actually in your hands and your wrists, believe it or not. And okay, bones. Whatever, you, you can go in the desert and dig up. Well, I hope, hopefully you don't come across any bones in the desert. But people do it, right? It's, it's paleontology. It's, it's uh, calcium. It, you know, what's so special about bones? Okay, we got, don't worry, we got more coming. I think one of the most interesting things, though, is that bones produce red blood and white blood cells. I forgot about that. Isn't that credible? The structure of your body actually produces something like 220 billion blood cells per day. How many is that? 20 million per how many is that? Let's do some math. <laughs> Rob, you're my math guy. <laughs> two, two million a second. It's two million a second. Which is why I'm always tired in my 30s, right? I'm busy. I'm doing stuff. I'm working. This skeleton holds up about 700 muscles in your body. The strongest muscle of which is... Anyone want to take a guess? I heard Heart. It's actually your eyes. Believe it or not, relative to size, your eyes are the strongest muscles in your body. Believe it or not. And this, by the way, this eye has two million working parts per eye. So four million working parts that are just in seeing. And if you know anything about the eyes, you know how crazy it is that, that we see and what the brain does to interact with that eye. But speaking of hearts, hearts Beat on average, 72 beats per minute. Maybe mine's a little bit higher right now. I don't know. If you're a hummingbird, it's something like 1,200 beats per minute. So it's not that. 50 if it's cold, interestingly enough. But um, that, that same heart pumps about 75 gallons of blood per hour. You only got about a gallon and a half. If you're a big dude, you got a gallon and a half. 
can you believe that? It's pumping that much. Red, red blood cells, you know, 50 times or so in an hour. Absolutely incredible to me. And it's doing that through miles of veins, of capillaries, of arteries. Hopefully you're not feeling faint right now. I, I realize some people aren't good with blood. I, like, James isn't here. <laughs> He's at home just on the couch like, oh my gosh, can't do it. Miles of arteries and veins and capillaries. He's actually probably serving at kids. How many miles? You want to know how many miles? 60,000 miles of arteries, capillaries, and veins in your body. 60,000. Right? You wish you had that many airline miles. 60,000. And actually, that's about a quarter of the way to the moon. In every single person here. Right? That's two times around the globe. More. In every single person here. Let's make it personal. Indulge me here. Would you find a person on your left or on your right? Just go ahead and look at them. Hopefully you came with them so it's not as awkward. I'll pause here to make it awkward. How's that? Okay. Here's the deal. That person sitting next to you, in just a single gram of DNA, has 215 petabytes of information. What's a petabyte? It's about a million gigabytes. So 215 million gigabytes in just a single gram of DNA in the person sitting next to you. All right. Your neighbor your coworker, the person in the checkout line, right? The, the, the guy that cut you off on the way to church, hopefully no one had that experience. The guy that yelled at your kid at the game. All these people. The, the guy on the side of the road with a sign, right? Who, regardless of the decisions that he made in his life inside of the circumstances that he had that you didn't, that individual as well has that kind of DNA in 37 trillion cells in his body. Tell me that you're not fearfully and wonderfully made. Absolutely staggering what is inside of each and every one of us. It's no surprise that we are made in the image of God because God told us that. The guy who measures the universe with the span of his hands has put these kinds of numbers in our bodies, in the design of our bodies. And Paul, you know, in Romans 12.10, he tells us to love one another. He didn't know about cells or DNA. He just knew that he had faith and trusted in what God said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are made in the image of God. And he trusted in what he knew, that God appeared to him in a shining light to show him incredible grace and everybody around him. Right? Paul didn't know that if you put all of the strands of DNA in your body together, end to end, that it is as long as double the diameter of the solar system in every one of our bodies. The God who measures the universe with the span of his hands puts something that long, two solar systems wide in each of us. There is a fingerprint of God. There is a specialness 
to how we are. And I'm not, I'm not talking about you know, mechanisms and what came first and how old the universe is. I think those are interesting discussions. They're not the test when you get to heaven. The test is not how old is the universe. The test is what did you do with Jesus? What do you think about my son? That's the test. And so we can't just talk about intelligent design. We've got to go deeper. And we're a bold family here, right? We're not, we're not ashamed of the scary stuff. We've got to talk about hell, right? One of, just such a hard objection. We've got to talk about the validity of, validity of Bible. We've got to talk about how we can trust the resurrection of Jesus. I was at a, a work a dinner, and I, I happened to sit, well, we'll call it I sat at the right table, you know, folks that I'd known for maybe five years or so, older gentlemen, seen a lot more life than I have. One of them, his wife had passed away um, maybe like six years prior. I just, I just felt it. I'm like, hey, you know, Lord, if, if you want me to talk about Jesus, I will. Like if, if there's an opening here, I played it safe. If there's an opening here that makes sense, I'm there for it. I'm ready for it. Even about the things I'm not ready for, I'm ready for. And you got to be careful what you pray for because it happened, right? And I don't even remember how it happened except that we were talking and there was this, good, there was this guy across the table from me. He's a good man. He grew up as a, in a, a Baptist in, in the South, right? His grandfather was a traveling pastor. He would fill in when other like lead pastors were sick or couldn't preach that day, so they were just all across the South, going to church to church, and he is not a believer. He's not a believer, and he asked me, right, he asked me, why could God send good people to hell? And he's right. That's a hard question. What came out of my mouth was, how could God send bad people to heaven? And even then, I think, I think my theology was a little off, but in thinking about it afterwards, what would I have said? How do I, how do, I do better with this? This is a hard topic, especially when we're dealing with loved ones, right, that don't see eye to eye on these sorts of things. This breaks our heart. This absolutely breaks our heart. I think it is so important. It's not about good people in hell or bad people in heaven. It is this, it is this, all people have sinned and fallen short of the holiness of God. All people. It is the great equalizer. But the difference is this. What stands out across every other world religion. It's not about earning your place in heaven. The place is already yours. It's not about good or bad, weighing the scales, having more of one and less of the other, earning your place in heaven. The place is already yours. All it takes is accepting what has been given, which is Jesus, right? That we didn't have to get to God. God got to us, and it's right there. It is right there for us Everyone, for all, salvation is for all. Three letters for one of the biggest words, all. It's for all. 
And yet it is so hard, I think, when, when there's just stumbling blocks, small things that keep, keep people from the grace of God. It's not about earning your place in heaven. The place is already there. And I think, you know what? I've got a few more things that I want to talk through, if, you, if you'll hang in there with me. But I feel like we've just got to pause. I feel like we should pray. And just bring before those folks that, that are on our hearts, right? That, that we desperately want to know God. That we ache to experience the grace of God like we have. And I, and I get it, right? We're already, we're already quite a ways through this. It's a dangerous thing for the guy up here to say, hey, let's, let's close our eyes and pray because they may not open back up. I, I get that, right? We're already quite a ways through this. But I just, I, let's just bring this before God, right? And remember what Corinthians 4.4 said, that there is, there is an agent, there is Satan who is blinding and making a challenge, making things difficult. Let's just pray against that together. Please be thinking about individuals, things, people that, that you absolutely want to come into a faith and understanding of the Lord. And let's just pray and lift them up together. Lord, you save. You save as you have saved in this room folks that have walked with you for years and for decades and we praise God for their example. But Lord, we just lift up those that we ache for. Those that we desperately desperately want to encounter you. And we pray, Lord, that you would just, you would touch their hearts. Lord God, that you would remove things that cause them to stumble, right? R remove things that are, that are half-truths or false-truths, things that are seen within the light of the world, not the appearing of the grace of God. Lord, we pray that you would open eyes and open hearts. And Lord, those that we desperately want uh, to, to meet you and to know you and to commit their lives to you. Lord, help us in the position that we're in. Help us to help it along. Lord, Lord, help us to know what to say or when, when to say. But more importantly than that, we remember you save God. Help us live the example that is worthy of the grace of God. Help us to live our lives in a way that wouldn't be that stumbling block, right? That you didn't come for the religious, you came for the sinners. You came for the ones that know they need you. And Lord God, that's what we pray. We lift up these friends, these loved ones, these neighbors, these coworkers, all of these individuals because you came for salvation for all. Lord, we pray that you would part the sea for them, that you would remove every hindrance, get everything out of the way, and draw them to you. And if we can be a part of that process with these people that we desperately love, Lord God, make us fit for the task. Give us the boldness to do it. Amen. Amen. We know that for those that, that say no to him, right? That Jesus has been called the ultimate gentleman. That he, it's a sign of respect and dignity that he says, if, if it's not my will be done, then it's thy will. It's yours. And, and he leaves them to what they decide. But Lord, we pray desperately, right? That they would come to know you. But who are you? How do we trust 
the Jesus of the Bible. There are about 27 New Testament documents that tell us about Jesus' life. There's about 30 that are regarded even by secular historians as, as confirming the life of Jesus. 30 of them that are outside of Scripture, right? Historians and other sources. Why is that important? Many of these sources were written within the first 100 years after Jesus uh, died in around AD 30. You compare that to other sources of antiquity, right? Alexander the Great, the copies are written about 300 years after his death. Uh, Buddha was about 600 years after his death. And then you look at others like, like uh, we, know, we know Plato in here, right? Not, not Plato, but Plato, right? Um, it, it was something like 1,200 years after he lived. And those are, those are highly regarded historical sources. We know that his, history, we, we, to, to come up with the most accurate history, we need to look at eyewitness accounts, and we have to look at early accounts. And we know that Scripture has both. Even the, the secular um, uh, scholars agree to that. In fact, I have a quote uh, from Bart Ehrman, an atheist. He writes that with respect to Jesus, we have numerous independent accounts of his life. Sources that originated in Jesus' native tongue. And they can be dated to within just a year or two of his life. Right? Historical sources like that are pretty astounding for an ancient figure of any kind. The claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. But you know what? Those sources don't just mention Jesus. They confirm more than 100 details recorded about Jesus in the New Testament. But even that's not enough. He's a real person. He walked the earth. Great. So did Plato. But Plato didn't claim to be your God. And that's why we have to go a step further. We have to talk about the resurrection. There are 15 independent historical sources that confirm the crucifixion of Jesus within the first 100 years after his death, and actually many of them are only decades after that AD 30 mark, AD 60 and so, and so on. And, and when the Gospels talk about this, when the, when the Gospels are shared around, um, around the early church, the book of Acts, the story is told in Jerusalem. It's the same place where the crucifixion happened, where the tomb was, and where the eyewitnesses were. If anything was going to be disproven, it would be in Jerusalem. It's not like they took this message and went to, you know, two deserts south. It was the same place. Anyone could have spoken up, right, and, and, and called out that, that there was error, that there was a lie, that was falsehood. And it didn't happen, even in the place where it occurred. Acts, the early church, they began actually in the 30s, after AD 30, within 10 years to preach that the Lord is preeminent and that he is seated at the right hand of God and that he is to be worshipped. They started using the same words that applied to Yahweh to describe Jesus. Right? There was no misunderstanding here. There was no loss in translation. Very specific, very intentional. And they were bold and they were persecuted. They were whipped. They were put in chains. They were killed. Right? Stephen is stoned, and James, the brother of John, who, who uh, well, I'll say this, James, he was, uh, 
he was killed at the sword. When you think about why these individuals would do such things, what did they have to gain? Is this a message that was bringing them prosperity? Right? There's historical evidence for the persecution of the church. Even this early on, we're not talking about folks like us that heard it thousands of years later. These are the people that were right here. What did they have to gain from lying? And what did they have to gain from being persecuted for this message except that it was true and they couldn't do anything except respond to the grace that they were shown in faith. Why did they do it? Because he resurrected. There was no misleading here. These were the people that had everything to gain by not mentioning it at all, that turning their back on it, and they didn't. They maintained because they believed in the resurrection that they saw. They believed that he was deity, that he died, that he raised from the dead. The same Bible wasn't changed over time. Right? The evidence doesn't show that. There's 5,600 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. 5,600 Greek manuscripts that, that are dated in the, in, the, in the ways within a few hundred years that, that historians would consider very accurate and very valid. Right? The next closest to that is, is Homer's Iliad. If, if you know Homer, right, that, that's the, um, the story of the Trojan War that was written down maybe 400 years after. is an epic poem, 400 years after the Trojan War. There, there's uh, something like 600 copies of that, 5,000 fewer than, than the New Testament, than these Greek writings. It was fiction, an epic poem, this is truth, and it was on fire. Everyone was copying it down. Everyone was sharing it because the people needed to know the salvation is for all. There's a lot more numbers we could share. Gosh, there's things from archaeology that are so interesting. Things about science and the universe. Things about the book of Job, you know, calling, calling the earth round and a globe, detached, floating in space before, you know, the Greeks discovered anything like that. Things like, um, gosh, from science in particular, right? The, many of the heroes of science were also heroes of the faith, like Kepler, who discovered planetary motion. Kepler's Witch, if you haven't read it or if you've heard of it, it's a fantastic book that talked about his faith driving his passion for science, right? So many individuals um, in the scientific community, like Newton, like Galileo, like uh, the individual who discovered the, the communication between neurons in the brain, right, which, by the way, goes 250 miles per hour. There's another fun fact for you. All these individuals have shown us that these two things aren't at odds, right? There is enough, there's enough here to consider that intelligent life, God, Jesus dying and rising from the dead, there is enough here to say that this is not blind faith, but this is an intelligent conclusion. This is not blind faith. And praise God that he doesn't ask us for blind faith. Right? He asks us to surrender, right? to, to kneel before the glory of the appearing of his grace. Right? And to step into discipleship as a faith response. But that we don't have to do that blindly. Our, 
our salvation doesn't hinge on, on any of these facts, right? Paul didn't know about any of this science. Back in his day, it wasn't there. And yet, isn't it crazy enough, the deeper we go looking for answers, the more we see the fingerprints of God. It's all over the place. And it will continue to be all over the place, right? As new discoveries happen, we don't need to be afraid of this. Our, our, our friends and colleagues, our neighbors, our loved ones, they don't have to turn away when they see this. Right? It all points to the glory of God. Rob, would you mind bringing the praise team back up? We need to worship. <laughs> for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We don't have to have blind faith. We don't have to work our way to God. Gosh, and you don't have to do it alone. That's the beauty of doing the church, of being the church. We talk a lot about the power of having a personal Lord and Savior, but we can't confuse that for a moment with having a private Lord and Savior. Not when salvation's for all. It's okay to have a personal Lord and Savior, but let's not confuse the intimacy that comes along with that. The fact that we close our eyes sometimes when we pray, let's not confuse that with a quiet salvation. The grace of God has appeared. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you know what? It's just, we didn't get into it today. It's just a few verses down the road. Um, God talks to, or, or Paul writes in Titus um, that he has set aside a people for his own possession that are zealous for good works. That word possession is powerful. That word possession that Paul uses is that God has reserved for himself a people zealous for good works. It was used for for conquest during war, right? This is the king's portion. This is the best of the best that he gets to bring. It doesn't even go to the treasury, right? It goes to his own chamber. That's the possession that God longs for us to step into. It's ours. And so, so important. It's not just ours in this room. It's salvation for all. And if, if you're here, if you're listening to this, Please know, very likely, in your lifetime, there has been someone praying for you to hear that and to receive it. There are people in this room praying for you. I want to pray for you right now before we jump back into worship and just lay it all before the Lord. And if, if you have not received this grace of God, I pray that you would. I ache for you too. And you can do it here. There's nothing formal, nothing special about it. If you wanted to stand while we pray, you're very welcome to. You don't have to, but just tell somebody because it's not a quiet faith. If you're going to step into this, it's not a quiet faith. Tell somebody. If you're online watching, tell somebody. On the couch watching the Super Bowl, just give them a nudge. Tell somebody during the commercials. Don't be quiet about it. And it is so good and it is so worth it. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much. Thanks to you so much for bringing us here, for preparing this message for our hearts to hear. Thank you for allowing us the time to work through it, right? Philippians 2, right? That we work through our salvation with, <laughs> with fear and trembling. There's, there's a lot to unpack. And Lord, I just, I thank you that you care intimately about every one of us to, to walk that walk with us. It's not a head game. It's it, it, as much fun as it is to see the fingerprints that you've put on the universe. It's not a numbers game either. It's just you. And, for, and what you tell us is that it's just us. You just want us for the glory, your glory. What a blessing that you changed everything, sending Jesus to live a life, to instruct and teach us, to die on a cross that we put you on for our sin. That's the humility, that's the humbling message that we have to, that we have to, we have to face. That God, I, I have sinned as good as I am or as good as I try to be, I am not the holy standard that you want. I am not fit to be in the presence of you who have loved me so much. So I surrender. I surrender to the appearing of your grace. And what do I do with it? In faith, I love you. I love others made in the impossible image of you. God, I can believe that water turned into wine if DNA in my own body stretches twice across the solar system, right? Why aren't you showing yourself enough these days, Lord? You don't have to. Science is doing it for you. Praise God. Please don't stop revealing yourself to us. Don't stop revealing yourself to this church and to this community and to the people we desperately need to know you. Lord, continue to help us have a heart to ache for the lost. Continue to drive us to prayer on our knees for the lost. And Lord, we pray that they would not be lost much longer, but that you would save the lost along the 210 corridor and beyond. And let us have a piece of it. We're ready for it. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. We lift you up in this place. In your name, we proclaim our lives and we proclaim the call. In your name, Jesus. Amen.